Give Kenny a big hand. Isn't it nice and probably great brother? To have a Redskin fan greet me when I walk to the car, I'm just blessed. Amen. Uh, God bless you all. Um, I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for being so, such a warm church, such a great church. Uh, the first service treated me so well, so you have to treat me even better. Amen. Um, the folks are really nice, and we're so proud to be here and so grateful. I thank God for your pastor, Eric. And Melissa, they are just wonderful people. I met him probably about a year ago as we are working together, and he's joining and being part of Converge, which we plant churches, send missionaries around the world, and then, of course, we help strengthen churches. And uh, so glad to have him part of our team. He's such an insightful person, and uh, I love him because he's a Cowboys fan. And uh, we both do real estate, hallelujah. So we had a lot in common. And so I so appreciate him inviting me. And this is a great honor because it's not typical that a pastor leaves and let a black guy come into the church and preach when he ain't here. I mean, that's kind of cool, man. Uh, I was like, wow, man, that's interesting. So, uh, but it's been great. Everybody's treated me just, and my wife just wonderfully. And we thank you all. How many you know the kingdom of God is that we're all together as one body? Isn't that beautiful? And uh, we're so grateful for that. I used to do this little illustration with people all the time, you know, and uh, if I had the keyboard guy up here, I'll say, hey, man, play, uh, play, just play on the white keys of the keyboard, you know, and if he plays on the white keyboard, it just it doesn't sound quite right. I said, just play on the black keyboards and plays on the black keyboards. It doesn't sound too good, but when you play on the black and the white together, it's beautiful. Isn't that great? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's amazing as we come together, no matter what our race, our color, our creed, our backgrounds, when we are under the blood of Jesus, we're beautiful people that love God and worship the living God, amen, who created us in his unique way, amen? Isn't that beautiful? So, what I want to do here, um, first of all, is to let you know that I like excitement. I'm a sports guy, uh, and my wife and I just love God, and we love sports and so on, and so I'd just like you to get a little excited this morning. We're going to have some fun this morning. That's okay. I figured, you know, the, the Redskins don't play until the Monday night, so we can have church all day. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. Y'all play Monday night, right, Redskins fans? Y'all scared to even say when y'all play. It's all right. It's okay. All right. <laughs> I can't even get a response from it. I know it's, it's real tough. Um, so, but we're really excited, and I just love the excitement. See, what I understand is that when people go to sports games, they get excited. When their team scores, when the Redskins score a touchdown, you all get excited. It doesn't happen that often, but when it does, when it does, there's an excitement. When your kids are playing sports and they score, anything happens, soccer, baseball, I mean, you're excited, you're clapping. Let me tell you, Jesus Christ has hit the home run. He scored the touchdown. He has won the game for us. Amen. And we need to get excited about the living God. Amen. Hallelujah. I mean, we can clap. We can raise our hands. Come on. Listen, I'm going to tell you right now, if any of the famous artists is here, kids, teenagers, millennials, older folks, we are raising our hands going crazy because we love our artists. We love them. We celebrate them. You know, for us, if Rihanna or Beyonce was up here, we'd be going crazy on the stage. I mean, they're like, what? That's crazy. So if it's any of the famous artists that we have, we would go crazy because it's exciting but I believe that in church we should have fun and worship the living God. I do know that folks, sometimes we have a kind of laid-back personality, but we do get excited. Somebody cuts you off in the car in the parking lot, we see how excited you get. Um, 
You know, God is not just a quiet God, even though we reverence him and get quiet and meditate him and, we, and, uh, and celebrate him. But God is kind of loud. He has a trumpet that's going to wake the dead. So he does get a little loud at times. David was so crazy about God that when they brought the ark back to the presence uh, to Israel, the presence of God, he got so crazy, he worshiped God, t- took his clothes off down to his skeevies and twisted and turned in the air. I mean, he went crazy. The wife said, man, what is wrong with you? You know, you embarrass all of Egypt. I mean, Israel, you're just crazy. What's wrong? He said, man, I'm praising God because of what God has done. So I just think we ought to give God a big shout sometime and praise him and worship him. Is that all right? Amen. It's okay. It's time to do that. Amen. So I just want to have some fun. So make me feel at home. So you can say amen if something's good. If something's bad, which it won't be. You won't have to say anything. So, but we just love to worship God together. And you have made me feel so comfortable here. I would say that when I walked in this place, I could feel the special presence of God. I could feel God's up to something. This is an incredible place that you are worshiping. Virginia Hills, you are on to something, and it's great. Your pastor uh, and first lady, I call her first lady, when she comes in to say, first lady, Melissa, whatever, you can call her that. Um, Just their leadership and what they're doing, an entire leadership of the church, I so appreciate that. and glad to, to meet so many folks and are so grateful for what God is doing. And so, I want to tell you that my wife is a hero. My wife and I have four boys. Uh, we, we dated in high school from 17. We, was, we were 16 years old, and we dated for seven years. We've been married for 32. So thank you. Um, and so you can tell I have married up quite a bit. My wife is gorgeous. She's beautiful. Uh, and we have been together and have been through a lot of things. Our four boys are, are just incredible guys. And let me tell you about one of the stories in this picture we have up is a picture of, with us with uh, Governor Larry Hogan about three or four weeks ago. The story behind this picture is my youngest son has the glasses on. Uh, the tallest one uh, is Gabriel. He's 19 years old. Next to him is my son Christopher, who's 30 years old. And then, of course, you see Larry Hogan, and you see my wife there in the middle, and then you see me, and then you see my second son, Alex, who is 25 years old, and then my uh, 24-year-old. So none of them are married yet, so if you've got a good wife, let me know. Just call 1-800-PASTOR. I'll <laughs> just let me know. Uh, but my oldest son, uh, that's standing next to my youngest son with the bald head and the beard next to Larry Hogan, about seven years ago, had contracted a kidney disease called FSGS, a very unique genetic disease. Uh, and we were told that at some point he's probably going to have to have a transplant. You could never tell he had anything wrong with him. He was never on dialysis. And so we kept it a secret. No one knew. Only, only a certain amount of friends and only our elders at our church. My wife said, I don't want people asking me every week. I just couldn't bear to keep answering people every week. And so we kept it in obscurity. And finally, about uh, a year ago, we started finding out that he, his kidney function had got down to 20% and almost 15%. And they said, we're going to have to look for a kidney for him, a kidney donation. So we said, well, how does that work? So he said, well, you can have active or, you know, those who have deceased. And they said, okay, can you test us out? And, and they said, yes, we can test you out. We, we asked that question. So all of us got tested. Here's God. Every one of us matched. I matched. She matched. Two of my sons matched. The only one we didn't get tested was my youngest son. That was a miracle. So my wife was looking, and the doctors, as we were going through all these tests, they wanted to go after my 24-year-old because he was in the best shape. He's, a, he's an entrepreneur. He's a landscaper, skinny dude. 
And he said, we want to get his kidney. And my wife says, no, you're not getting his kidney. My, my, I'm not going to have two of my kids on the table at the same time, especially if my husband and I match. I had had surgery a couple of years ago. She says, no, you had surgery. I'm going to do it and donate the kidney. So in April, she donated her kidney to my oldest son. And today she is doing well, and he is doing well as well. Amen. When they took her kidney out, her kidney was almost the size of a male's kidney. The doctor says that's very unusual for a woman to have a, a, a kidney that size. So my son got that kidney. As soon as they put that kidney in, it started working immediately. And he's doing extremely, extremely well. The story was so incredible that one of our guest speakers at our church, uh, who used to be a BET anchor woman, she heard the story. She said, oh, my goodness, i got to call one of my friends. They need to cover the story. And Pat Lawson Muse from Channel 4. Pat Lawson Muse and I are friends. And she already knew about the story. But Cheryl said, you need to do a feature story in it. So Mother's Day weekend of this past year, they did a story on Channel 4 News about the whole journey of our kidney donation or my wife's kidney donation to my son, which was a fabulous day for us and great. So then somehow the governor's office found about it, and about four weeks ago we get a call from the governor's office, and the governor says, you have, your wife has been nominated to be the mother of the year for Maryland. And she got awarded the citation as the mother of the year for the state of Maryland. So, you know, I now have to bow down to her five times a day, walk 10 steps behind her, amen, and now she's in the nomination for the mother of the year for the entire country representing the state of Maryland, so amen? Isn't it amazing how God can take something from obscurity and now the whole world knows? It's just amazing. So keep praying for us, and we thank you so much for your your prayers for that, and uh, and congratulate my wife. She's a real hero. And we thank God for her. Uh, so today, I bring you greetings from River of Life Church, which is in Marlow Heights, as you heard our dear brother Kenny say. And uh, we're so excited that we could be here. I'm really, really honored that uh, Pastor Eric has asked me to come. I want to draw your attention to a, a picture of a track star. It's a very unique story to describe this picture. It's the Olympic Games of Mexico in 1968. The marathon is the final event on the program. The Olympic Stadium is packed, and there is excitement as the first athlete, an Ethiopian runner, enters the stadium. The crowd erupts as he crosses the finish line. But way back in the field is another runner, John Stephen Akwari of Tanzania. He has been eclipsed by other runners. And after 30 kilometers, his head is throbbing. His muscles are aching, and he falls to the ground. He has serious leg injuries, and officials want him to retire, but he refuses. With his knee bandaged, Akwari picks himself up and hobbles the remaining 12 kilometers to the finish line. An hour after the winner had finished, Akwari enters the stadium. All but a few thousand of the crowd have gone home, and Akwari moves around the track at a painstakingly slow pace until finally he collapses over the finish line. It is one of the most heroic efforts of Olympic history. Afterwards, asked by a reporter why he had not dropped out of the race, Akwari says, my country did not send me 9,000 miles just to start the race. 
They sent me 9,000 miles to finish it. Today, I want to talk to you about running and finishing the race. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the word of God. These few moments we gathered around your word, we thank you. Help us, Lord, to encourage, help people to see how much you love us and care about us and how you've called us to a race called us to finish. And so God, we thank you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want us to draw our attention to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, maybe to some a very familiar passage of scripture and text. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says this, therefore, let us also seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, Lay aside every weight and the sin which, so doth, so, which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and have sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, I love this story because I'm a sports guy. And the Hebrew writer, who we believe to be Paul, gives a sports analogy to heaven and earth. Looking, and there's this appearance of this stadium, arena, and there's people cheering us on. Those who've gone before us, who have died and now are entered into heaven, there is this panoramic view that they have of us fulfilling our purpose and our destiny on this earth. It's a stadium. And it's something about when people come together in stadiums and arenas and ball fields and they begin to watch their athlete and watch how they are performing and cheering them on. It's something about the momentum of the fan. And you and I have been watched by people in heaven. It's a very, very interesting concept. See, there are several factors to running in a race. Number one, track or course has to be laid out for the runners. In other words, if you're going to run long distance or short distance, there's a beginning point as well. You have to understand that there's a, a, a course laid out for every runner. And of course, there is a starting block or the place where the race begins. And for all of us, the race has begun for us when we were born on this earth. The race began if you joined this church. There's a new race you're in. If you got married, that's a new race you're in. And you start having kids, that's another race you're in. You and I must understand that we've been placed in the race, and we have to begin to run that race that God has laid out for us. But then there's the distance for the race. Some races are short, some are middle kind of races, and then there are the lengthy or the long races like a marathon. And then, of course, there is a finish line to every race. There's a point when the race has to end. And there you must understand that we have a finish line for all of us at some point. But then the fifth point is that there are fans and spectators for the race. They're watching. They're cheering on. There are people they're encouraging. There are people who are pumping us up. It's amazing to see the power and the momentum that comes from fans. But God has marked out a course for you and I to run. We all have been given a God-given destiny and a purpose to fulfill with certain time frames and a lifetime to, to, to accomplish them. And I would like everyone to understand today that you have been given a dream, a destiny, and a purpose for your life. 
Don't let the enemy or don't let our friends or any people tell you you can do anything you want. No, God has a purpose and a destiny for your life. Our life is not just defined by long years of living on this earth. Our life is also defined about how we fulfill purpose in our life. Some people don't live to be 100. Some people only live to be 30. But did they fulfill their purpose? <laughs> Jesus only lived 33 and a half years, but he fulfilled his purpose. We got people who live 70 or 80 years old and still not fulfilling their purpose, don't even know why they're here. We got some people who are 80-year-old fornicators. I'm sorry, not in here, but in other churches. <laughs> we got 90-year-old people who cussing people out. That, that's not really your purpose. Come on, granddaddy, stop. We got some people who are just doing things. That's not our purpose. God has put us all here to fulfill a purpose and a dream. And I like to tell young people as well, the enemy is always after the seed of your dream. He's always after the seed of your purpose, trying to get us off course, get us out of the race, because he knows how much power and how much potential that we can leave behind and affect other people. We have to be careful what we do with our purpose and our dream. Don't let anyone steal your dream. Don't let the enemy steal your dream and your destiny. I don't care how many failures you may have gone through. I don't care how many things you may have seen happen in your life that's not going well. God is still a God of a second chance, a third chance. He still knows you very well. He has a purpose, and I've come to to wage war on the enemies and those things and those voices that tell you that you can't accomplish it. You're going to get it done, hallelujah, because God has a purpose for every person in this room, and God has a purpose for Virginia Hills Church, hallelujah, and I see people coming from the north, the south, the east, and the west to this place. This is a special place, and if you don't realize that, man, you got to wake up and smell the coffee. Something good is going on in this place. I sensed it. My wife sensed it. We walked in the door. We are picking up ideas from you all. Matter of fact, I am a thief. I steal ideas. I love, my wife said, we're going to do that. I said, yes, we stole, we're stealing that this morning. But God has a purpose for every life. You and I need to understand that some of us may be short distance runners. Uh, those people who are very uh, powerful, a lot of agility, a lot of skill, and that's fine. Sometimes we may run short distance for ministry and certain things for a period of time and move to something else. But whatever God has marked for you, you can do it. Sometimes we're middle-distance runners. Sometimes we are long-distance runners. Sometimes we may even be hurdlers and, and be on a relay team where we're passing one thing to the next, being generational blessings being able to share and give to others and, and transferring things from one generation to the next and, or from one team member to another team member to something on your job or in your community and your marriage. We sometimes are relay on a relay team. But the Lord is the one who decides our race. You don't decide it yourself. It is the Lord decide. He puts you here for a purpose. God says, I know the plans for your life. I'm the one that's going to get you to your expected end. He said, before you were born, I knew you. And when you was in your mother's womb, I sanctified you. I set you apart. I've ordained you to be something special, to fulfill a call in this life. We're not here on our own accord. You, 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 you and I are not that brilliant. Only the God that made the universe, the God who's sovereign, is the one that knows everything about our life. You know the problem we have? We keep thinking we can do it on our own. That's what gets us in trouble. S-I-N. It's that I in the middle that gets us in trouble. And how many know I has gotten us in so much trouble that we need to come off the throne and put the J there. Come on, somebody. And let him save us and deliver us from our independent spirit. And for this, God wants us to realize how much he decides our race for us. So many people are trying to run their own race. 
to find their own course, do what they want to do. But the Bible says there's a way that seems right to man, but the end of it is destruction. God says, no, I've designed your life. I know what I've called you to be, and you shall accomplish it as you trust me. How many of you know you're winners from the very beginning? Your life, you are a winner from the very beginning. God put you in this race. Did you know they said there's millions of sperm cells that are released that allows a woman to get pregnant, but only one gets there. Only one. Can you believe it? You were racing so fast. I mean, man, and you got there before that other one got there. God made you a winner from the very beginning. Hallelujah. You were... You're already fast from the very beginning. Amen. But you and I must understand there is a crowd of spectators and fans in eternity cheering you on. In the preceding chapter, he tells you and the writer tells you and I who those people are that are cheering us on. Hebrews chapter 11, we call it the Hall of Faith chapter, tells us all the guys and all the women who were there. Can you believe it? Sitting in the stands cheering you on. It's Abel. His brother killed him, but he gave a great sacrifice to God. He gave God what he wanted, and yet he's cheering in heaven. There is Enoch that is there who walked with God. Can you believe it? He's cheering you in heaven. Noah, who had to believe God against all odds and build the ark and save his family. He's sitting in the stands cheering you on. Not only that, but you got Abraham, the father of faith, who trusted God, who went and followed God, even though he didn't know where he was going, and became the the man of covenant. He's cheering you on. Sarah, who's a woman who trusted God, who gave birth to Isaac when she was 90 years old, is cheering you on. Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, amen. Moses, Rachel, hallelujah, Rahab is cheering you on. Gideon, a man who was scared to fight, but when God called him to fight, he fought. And now he can teach you and say, cheer, he's cheering you on that you can fight and win whatever battle you have to face. Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets, women, People tortured, people who were put on trial, people had been in prison, people who were beaten, people who were stoned for their faith, people who were put in bonds and in jail and tested for their faith, people who were left destitute and was left homeless. Yet the Bible says these people were considered great people of faith. Many of them never seen the promises, but they're sitting in heaven cheering you on. And the Bible says that these people were, were so in faith with God and living by faith with God that the world was not worthy of them. And these are the people who are cheering you on along with our mom and our dads and our grandparents and our uncles and nieces and cousins and all those who have gone before us who believe in Jesus Christ. They're sitting in the heavens cheering you on to say, finish the race that God's put you in. You and I have a great, great call in our life and we got heaven cheering us on. Can someone say Amen. So he says this, though, throw off every weight and every hindrance and every sin that can so easily tangle us up, that can cause us to stumble, that can cause us to actually detour, that can cause us not to finish the race, that can trip us up. But what are some of those weights, Pastor? There are things that are in all of our lives that are impeding us from completing the race or doing what we need to do that's trying to hinder us from our race. 
Sometimes there's hatred that we have in our hearts because of things that have happened to us. We have to let the hatred go. Sometimes it's unforgiveness that we're holding on to things that have happened to us from a family or a friend or a boss or a loved one or a spouse or an ex-spouse, whatever. God says, let the uh, unforgiveness go. Forgive people because Jesus Christ has forgiven us of much. Uh, the unforgiveness is not worth hanging on to. I know people may have messed you up and people may have done things to you, but guess what? Jesus Christ has forgiven them. He's forgiven you, and we need to forgive them so we can continue our race and not carry unforgiveness with us. Not only that, but a lot of times we're carrying uh, in our lives jealousy. Sometimes we just are hating on other people, jealous of other folks. They got this position. They're doing that. Maybe that doesn't happen here in this church, but I know other churches that happens. Hallelujah. Then we have people who are, have uh, weights of addiction on them. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's some other kind of issue, whether it's drugs or, or alcohol or different things. It's only that the enemy is only using that to stop you from running your race. You have to say, Lord, help me, deliver me from these things because I want to fulfill the race that you've called for me. I don't want to be tripped up. I don't want to disqualify myself. I want to do exactly what you called me to do. Sometimes we're carrying unnecessary burdens on our life, carrying too much weight, carrying all the family responsibilities, carrying our jobs, carrying all kinds of stuff, and it's too much, and it may be tripping us up. And other times we have biasness, whether it's implicit or explicit biasness, and we have to say, Lord, get that out of me. I don't want to have that. It's tripping me up. It's amazing that we live in a world today with all the racial tension that's in the world. But, you know, God's made everybody. And God wants us to love everybody. And, and, and the best way we can love each other and help each other is to communicate and talk and ask God to renew our thinking about each other. Because how many know the Lord has made every human being and around the throne of God, ladies and gentlemen, there's going to be people from every tongue and every kindred and every nation worshiping the, at, the, at the throne of the Lamb of God. Washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And so we need to be people who understand how to overcome no, no, but sometimes we have folks who are walking with divisiveness. I'm sorry, that's not here at this church. Sometimes people walk with manipulation. It's these weights, these are things that can stop you and stop the church. And people rise up sometimes who want to be in charge and take control and do things that are out of order. And it happens in every church. And I know this church is an exception, but for all other churches, listen to me on Facebook or whatever. That's your church. You got these problems, not this one. <laughs> And then, of course, the works of the flesh, the things that can trip us up and entangle us and stop us. It's an amazing. You can be walking in your dream, and if you're not careful, you can allow yourself to get tripped up and messed up. I was just hearing a report. Some of you have heard this. Kareem Hunt uh, of the Kansas City Chiefs just taken off his team because of domestic violence. Get ready to sign a multi-million dollar contract, and now his whole destiny and dream could be at jeopardy. Because he lost control. So we have to be careful that we don't allow things to trip us up. Don't let things mess us up. So we have to run with endurance. The specific race that God has given us. See, some of you have a sprinter's race. You're racing and you have quick and you're powerful. And you're making impact very quickly. Some of you are here on the long term. You're, you're going to be running for a long time. And you, you have endurance to run the marathons cross country. God bless you. Others of you are, are, are running in a race that has various challenges, and we all face them. We run through difficulties, and you have to run through trials, and you've got to run through pressure. 
It happens to all of us, but we have to learn how to endure and how to stand and not give up because things don't go well. How many know when you live in this life, things are going to go well and some things are not going to go well? But how many know we still need to give God thanks and still continue to press on to the thing that God has called us to do? One of my friends, I remember, he was one of my senior elder friends, and he was just a great man of God, passed recently and went home to be with Jesus. But I watched his life. I watched his life so carefully because he was an incredible uh, uh, example of endurance. I remember when his daughter died. When she was just in her early 20s. had just gotten married, died of cancer. And then a couple of years later, his wife dies of cancer. And we watched this man still have his faith and still preaches and still teaching and encouraging others. And then he gets married again and married for about 30-something years to another wife, and she died of cancer. I said, God, how much more can this man take? But I'll tell you what, he was an example of endurance. He could still give God praise, still worship God, and he finished his race strong. And we need to understand that there are times we will have to endure things. We will go through difficulties. We will go through trials. We will go through pressure in life. But we must press through. We must not give up. We must not throw in the towel. You're going to be at times in church, things are not going to always go well. But you still got to keep pressing. You ain't going to always like everything the pastor does or the, fir- or the first lady does or leaders do at the church. You may not like everything that people do, but you still got to press because God has called us to complete the race. And so you and I must understand that we have to stay focused, though. Stay focused on Christ as you're running your race. This is what the Hebrew writer tells us. As we look at the examples of others who are cheering us on, our biggest example is Christ. Christ is the pioneer of our faith. He's the author of our faith. He's the one that teaches us what it means to trust and believe. He's the one that got us faith started. He's the one that gets us going. Thank God for Jesus Christ. But not only that, but he's the perfecter of your faith. He's helping your faith to mature. He's helping you to understand how to still trust God even when things don't go well. How to trust God still to get to your vision and to get to the goal and to finish your race. Then he says, and don't let distractions or discouragement and difficulty stop you. Because you look at Jesus, he went through all kinds of things to try to distract him. All kinds of things tried to discourage him. He had all kinds of difficulty, but nothing stopped him from accomplishing the race. But I want you to know that when you keep your faith to finish the race, it will minister to other people. Keeping your faith to finish your race will be an impact on the world. Keeping your faith to finish your race will cause you to receive a great reward. And you and I must understand that Christ, as we look at his example of enduring and finishing the race, he had joy, the Bible said, was set before him. In other words, he could see a preferred future. He had a vision beyond all the things he had to go through. He can see that if I keep running this race and I finish what God told me to do, what my father told me to do, I know on the, on the other side of this is a throne. And he had a vision he could see so he could have joy. That's why uh, the James tells us that count it all joy when you go through diverse temptations or different types of tests and trials because it's working out something better in you. So you and I must have joy in the midst of trial as we're running our race. But he also endured the cross and bore the shame. We look at Jesus and what he died, what he did. He was suffered for us, and then he went to that cross and, and was bore the shame for the entire human race. We understand what it means to fight through challenges. We have to. We have to be able to make it and finish the race. Yet, yet he was seated at the right hand of God. Well, now he has a reward, and he has victory. And so when we look at Christ and we understand that you walking and running in your race, 
you will have a vision that things are going to be better before this is all over with. I am not just living the race for myself. I'm living it for other people who are going to follow me, who are going to look at me and see how I live my life. I'm living, I'm walking my race and running my race rather because my sons are looking at me. I don't want to do the wrong thing. I don't want to live the wrong way because at some point they want to look at my life and see what kind of life that I live. I want to leave an impact on my kids. So I want to run the race. Not only that, but to run it knowing that on the backside of that race, when my life is all said and done, I know that God's going to bless me and bless generations to come. Just like when Christ got up from that grave because he died on that cross and finished his race. And when he said it was finished, it was finished, and yet he died and he rose again. He's now provided for the entire human race unconditional love. He's provided for the entire race grace and salvation and healing and deliverance. He's provided for all of us his spirit to live on the inside of us. He's provided us strength and comfort. He provides us intercession as he's praying for us constantly that we will fulfill all that God has put in our heart to fulfill. And most importantly, he's provided for us eternity with him, eternal life. And Paul put it this way in his final discourse to Timothy. He says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course of my race. I have kept the faith. Now there is laid up for me a crown. A crown not only for me, but for all those who love his appearing. So if I can encourage you today, and this is my encouragement, make sure you run your race and finish it. Don't let anything hinder you or tangle you up and stop you. Run your race with endurance. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel when things get tough. Cross the finish line. Even though you may feel like you've gotten hobbled and can't hardly make it, be like Akwari. And cross the finish line. Because the fans in heaven are cheering you on. They're cheering you on. Remember, the Lord didn't put you here just to start the race. He put you here to finish the race. I said he put you here to finish the race. I remember as I closed. It was in middle school and junior high school. I was on a track team. I remember running the first leg of the lap of an 880 race, two times around. I got around the first quarter of the leg of the, of the track race, and I got tripped up. And I remember falling, and when I fell, I had a big old strawberry on my side. And I got back up, and I finished running the race. Everybody had crossed the finish line, but I never gave up running. And I could hear my coach cheering me on and my players. And I'll never forget that after I finished that race and we got into our awards banquet for that year, my track coach says, I'm going to give Charles a trophy of of perseverance, a trophy of tenacity, because when he got knocked down, he finished the race, when most people would have just gave up. There is something special about running your race and finishing it. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this church. Thank you for those who who are here, those who are listening online. I pray, God, if they don't know you, that they will come to know Christ so they can know the race that they should be in, that they will finish strong, 
I do believe, God, that this church is on to something great. You have it on a great mission. People are going to be coming from the north, the south, the east, and the west, as they already are. I pray, God, that they will run the race together as a team and that they will be strong as a corporate body. And I pray for marriages. Somebody here may be wanting to give up on their marriage. God, no, no, no. May they trust you. God, I pray for those who may be struggling financially, struggling in areas of their kids or parenting, whatever the case may be, and they may want to throw in a towel. No, no, no. They're going to finish the race. They're going to finish what you started, God, what you want them to accomplish. Maybe there's some here who are struggling with what they should do with the ministry. God, help them to see that they need to continue to run the race and not give in. Thank you, Lord, for helping us to throw off every weight and every sin so that we can be all that you want us to be and complete the race. Because God is not just how we start, it's how we finish. May we finish strong and may we finish well. And may it be said of you, O God, well done.